Please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Mark chapter 6. We're in this three-series, this three-sermon series. We are now into week two that we're talking about real faith. Mark chapter 6, real faith. There's three stories right there in Mark chapter 6 where we see faith when, when life gets real. Last week, we looked at faith when, when you're rejected, faith when rejected, when, when you live out your faith and you're bold about your faith and you begin to dare and dream great dreams, we know that at that point is when you're going to be rejected for your faith. And we looked at that and we talked about that and how, how we can respond uh, to that and respond to people who reject us because of our faith. This week, I want to speak to you on the topic of faith when tested, faith when tested, understand that up to this point, the disciples have been walking with Jesus, they've been talking with Jesus, they've been seeing Jesus do some pretty awesome things. Many miracles have been done. In fact, they've just come off a very successful mission trip. They have come to this point in their life and their journey. And, and remember what we saw last week. They had been rejected by, by, by those that are in Nazareth. Jesus was rejected, and, and Jesus did not sink away. He didn't just fold his cards and say, okay, I'm done. I, I give up. I, I'm done with this. I'm going home. I'm, I'm quitting this. <clears throat> he didn't do that, did he? No. He came away, and he said, okay, I, I'm going to get my disciples, and I'm going to send you two by two, and I'm going to send you out into the world. And, and there they went, and the Bible says there in Mark chapter 6 that as they went out from house to house to house, they saw God do some amazing things. A, a revival began to take place in their midst, and, and so these people, they, the disciples, they, they went out, and they started sharing the love of Jesus to anyone and everyone that would hear. People opened the doors of their homes, and they came in, and they saw this amazing amazing thing. They saw Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle. They saw firsthand the power of God as they trusted Jesus at his word. So you would think that coming off such a, a high spiritual experience that these disciples' faith would be strong, that once they hit this pinnacle that they would take the next step up, but that's not what happened. And that's normally not what happens to us. You see, normally what happens to us in our walk of faith, when we, when we hit a spiritual high, we don't take that next step up, but oftentimes what we do, and it's because that we just decide, okay, I'm going to coast now. Everything's good. I'm just going to coast. I'm, I'm having a spiritual high. God is blessing. God is pouring out his miracle. He's, he's blessing financially. He's blessing spiritually. So we're just going to coast right now. And what happens is when we get into that mind frame, we don't take the next step up, but we begin to go on that slide down. Remember shoots and ladders as a kid? Instead of climbing up the ladder, we fall down the slide. And this is exactly what happened to the disciples. They, they were on a spiritual high. They were having a spiritual momentum. And, and you would think that, okay, let's take that next step up. Let's, let's move up uh, with the Lord. And, and that's not what happened. We see this in our own lives, don't we? We see this as the story. We know this is the story, the feeding of the 5,000. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word, Mark chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse number 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like a sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is the desolate place, and the hour is now late. 
Send them away so we can go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Then he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they had said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups and eat on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and all those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, Lord, I pray that I will be as clear as I possibly can with this message that you have given to me. Father, to communicate to us, to all of us, that our faith is something important. And Father, when we face tests and trials and situations of life, Father, may our faith grow. May we go up and not down. I ask this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, please be seated. Now, there's many ways to view this miracle. I, I've preached this message. I've preached uh, the, the, the message, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 so many times uh, in, in, in these years that I've been a pastor and a preacher. You can look at this story, this miracle, uh, through the eyes of Jesus, and you can, you can talk about it and preach from it about how Jesus responded to the people's needs. You can even look at it through the eyes of, of the people. And you can see how, how they were hungry for Jesus, how they were hungry for the word, and how they, they flocked to Jesus. You can look at this story through the eyes of the little boy that brought his lunch and how he sacrificed everything that he had. There's so many application points to this message. But today, I don't want to look through any of those eyes. Today, I want to look through the eyes of the disciples. I want to look through the eyes of these 12 men who were coming off a spiritual high, a, a, a spiritual momentum in their own personal walk, their own personal faith. They had just saw Jesus rejected. They were just told to go out and do an evangelism ministry, a, a, a mission ministry. They, they came back from their missionary journey excited. It, it's like students when you come back from camp or, or adults when you come back from a missionary uh, trip. You, you, you come back and you're excited. You're ready to go. We're, we're ready to take the next step of faith. And then Faith is tested. Faith is tested. These disciples, they faced a test. They failed the test. When our faith is tested, there are three things that we have to understand. Three things that, that when our faith meets a storm, when our faith meets rejection, when our faith meets something that, that, okay, I'm going to either respond right or I'm going to respond wrong. There's three things I believe this text teaches us. Number one, we must understand no matter what happens, God is always in control. No matter what happens in life, God is always in control. When you read the account in John chapter 6 of the feeding of the 5,000, and by the way, it says 5,000 men. That means there's probably 20,000 people that Jesus fed. Jesus asked Philip specifically. Here in Mark 6, uh, he, he says that he asked the disciples. But in John 6, he says specifically he asked Philip, one of the disciples. And he asked Philip, he said, how are we going to feed these people? How are these people going to eat? And Jesus was not asking a question because he didn't know the answer. Jesus already knew what he was going to do beforehand. But he was testing Philip. He wanted to see, if you've seen me do all of these awesome things, Philip, you've seen me do all of these miracles, and, and now are you going to put your faith and trust in me, or are you going to doubt? You're just coming off this exciting adventure. 
of seeing people's lives change, lives turned upside down. You've seen miracle after miracle after miracle happen. Now, Philip, I'm going to test you again. Are you going to pass the test? And he failed miserably, didn't he? How in the world are we going to feed these people, Jesus? We've just got a few pieces of bread and a few fish. How in the world are we going to do it? Often a crisis, a difficulty, a demanding situation, it gives cause to test our faith. That's when we must learn this this lesson of the loaves, if you will. This lesson that God is in control. That God never makes a mistake. You see, friend, God is ordering your steps as a believer and and as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God works all things together to good for those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Guys, listen, there are no accidents with God. This situation did not catch Jesus by surprise. He he wasn't sitting there wringing his hands and saying, oh no, how, how in the world are we going to feed these people? This situation, God was still in control. Jesus was still in control. Circumstances are always under his control. There was a great need. The people were hungry. There was a crisis because there wasn't enough food. Jesus knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew that he was going to to perform a miracle there. He was orchestrating and managing the entire scene. The Bible says in Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him by his right hand. The steps of a man, the steps of a woman, a, a man of God, a woman of God are ordered by the Lord. I heard someone say that not only the steps are ordered by the Lord, but also the stops are ordered as well. You see, life is a series of, of positives and negatives. Series, uh, life is a series of, of mountaintops and valleys. Life's a series of promotions and demotions. Life's a series of, of, of well checkups and you've got cancer. Life is a series of, of positives and negatives. And, and life throws all kinds of things at us, doesn't it? Circumstances change. Circumstances change. But what we see here is that there are two things that should never change. God never changes, and our faith should never change. God is in control. God has got this despite the fact of what's going on. This is why I love the Bible so much. Because the Bible is not full of of stories that, 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 that... talk about Superman and, and all, of these, all of these characters that never mess up, that they always do everything perfect, that everything always happens that's good for them. That, the Bible is not full of stories like that. The Bible is full of stories of real life. Men and women who meet circumstances of life that weren't what they thought should happen and how they either rise or how they fall. We find ourselves in those stories, don't we? There's a man by the name of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph was given a great dream by God. God said, Joseph, through you, I'm going to bless your family. Through you, I'm going to save your family. Joseph, he, he, he shared that dream. He, he, he talked about that dream. He was so excited. God is going to do something great through me. His dad loved him. He gave him a coat of many colors, and he walked around with that coat. He, he walked around sharing that dream. God is going to do something great through me. God is going to do something great through me. And his brother's became very jealous. They didn't like it. The Bible says that the brothers, they sold him into slavery and Joseph wound up in the middle of a storm in the jail cell 
of an Egyptian prison. Ultimately, he got out and he made a success of his life and then all of a sudden something else happened. His, his boss's wife lied about him and, and, and he was thrown back into prison. You ever thought about what Joseph was thinking then? You see, we get to read the end of the story. We, we get to know what's going to happen. We can just fast forward and, 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 and fast forward through the replays and the commercials and we don't have to worry about how bad that prison stunk. How, how bad that those, those chains hurt his arms. We don't have to worry about those nights that he stayed awake and saying, God, wait a minute, you've promised me this, but I'm in the middle of a dungeon right now. We, we don't see any of that. But we've lived it. You've been there. God has given you a great dream. He's given you a promise. And you claim that promise and you believe in that promise and you say, God, you've given me this great promise, but you find yourself in the middle of a prison. And you're saying, what in the world is going on? Listen, God is in control. He's in control. God ultimately blessed Joseph. He set Joseph up over all of Egypt and a great famine hit the land. His family, starving, came to Egypt looking for food. They fell down at the face of a person they did not recognize. Many years had passed. Joseph is no longer a little boy. Now he's a man wearing the full garb of, of Pharaoh. His brothers did not recognize him. They fall down at his face, and Joseph pulls off his, his, his hat, and he reveals himself as Joseph, and his brothers begin to freak out, literally freak out. That's in the Bible. They freak out. I think that's King James. His brothers start to freak out, like, oh, no, what's going on? He's going to kill us. But Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he said, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about this day to save many people. Think about this. If, if, if Joseph was never sold into slavery, if Joseph never went to prison, if Joseph never encountered those hard times of life, he would not have been able to be set up to receive and to fulfill the blessing and the miracle that God had given him in his heart. Remember that when you're in the storms of life, you cannot see the other side, but God can. The promise of God is ever true. The promise of God is ever faithful. He is in control. Stop freaking out. Stop freaking out. God is in control. That, isn't that just awesome? When you stop and think about it and you say, you know what? I don't have to worry about this. God's in control. Real faith, listen to me, real faith does not give up when the odds are stacked against you. The disciples, they folded. They freaked out. Jesus said, how are we going to feed them? They said, we don't know. Send them out. Tell them to go. Tell them to go to McDonald's and Wendy's and Burger. Tell them to go. We don't have enough food. Real faith never says it's over. Now, let me say this, that even though you may be going through a storm today, maybe your friends, maybe your family have seemingly sold you into slavery. You think everybody's abandoned you. Maybe you've been rejected like we saw last week. Maybe, maybe you're even questioning this Christian lifestyle and you're saying that, that you know, this, this Christian lifestyle is starting to cramp my style, you know. My friends have left me. My family's rejected me. I've lost everything. 
Maybe you're in bondage, you're in prison, you feel like you're far away from God. Remember this principle. If Joseph was not sold, if Joseph was not sold into slavery by his brothers, if he wasn't falsely accused and imprisoned, Joseph would not have been in a position to save his family. No matter what you're going through, God is in control. The second principle we learn from this passage, that real faith, in order not to slide down the slide, but to climb up on the ladder of faith, to, to continue the, 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 the walk of faith, real Christians, real faith. Number one, understand God is in control. Number two, God always provides. God always provides. There were many people that were blessed in this miracle in Mark chapter six. The people that were hungry were blessed. The little boy that gave his lunch was blessed. The disciples, they were blessed. And notice that any time God brings a blessing, there's always an overflow. Have you ever noticed that? Whenever God decides to bring a blessing upon you, there's always an overflow. It's not that he brings a blessing, he does it halfway. He doesn't just bring it halfway, does he? No, he, he brings it all the way and then he leaves more there. The miracle of feeding these 20,000 people from a few fish and loaves of bread, that there was an abundance of overflow. In fact, Mark tells us specifically All four Gospels tell us that this story is found in all four Gospels. There's two things that are similar in all four of these stories. Number one, that Jesus prayed and blessed the food. And number two, that there were 12 basketfuls left over. Twelve. That's an interesting number, isn't it? We'll get to that in just a moment. The point is that our God is good. He's gracious. And he looks to to richly bless you. You see, when God moves upon your life, he will always leave you with more than what you previously had. Think about it in salvation. Think about what God gave you. Did he leave you exactly where you were when he saved you? No. He blessed you. He gave you more than what you had before you were saved. Think about the blessings of God. When God blesses you, when God blesses your family, when God blesses your business, when God blesses your your marriage, when God blesses your relationships, think about this. Anytime and every time God brings a blessing upon you, he always does it in abundance. Let me explain. This lesson of abundance, this lesson that, that God provides means God is good, he's gracious. He not only supplies our needs, he, he, has, he supplies abundantly our needs. You know, the Bible talks about grace, but not just any grace. It talks about abundant grace. The Bible talks about joy, but not just any joy, but it says that he gives you abounding joy. He, he talks about peace, but not just any peace. He talks about peace that passes understanding. You see, it's not just peace, but it's exponentially more. He gives you this, but then he gives you so much more. He talks about love, but not just love, everlasting love, eternal love. One of the greatest promises found in the Bible is there in Philippians 4, 19, and my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. According to his riches, he, he owns everything, so that means that no matter what I may find myself in need of, he can supply, and he will always oversupply. Think about this. Think about this when you face a test in your faith. When you come up against a crossroads, and you will come up against a crossroads. Many of you are at a crossroads right now. When you come up against a crossroads, what often do we do in our flesh? What often? Do, how do we respond? Oh, no. And we start to worry. 
We, we start to be afraid of, of tomorrow, or we begin to think, well, what if this happens, or what if that happens, and, and we begin to worry. How foolish it is to worry. How foolish it is to be anxious about, about tomorrow. If we truly believe, if we truly believe that God is in control and that God provides, how foolish it is for us to worry, for us to be anxious, for us to, to worry about tomorrow. If God, isn't God going to supply our needs? Isn't God in control? Isn't God right there? Even though this situation in my life has caught me by surprise, it's not caught God by surprise. He's got this. He makes everything available to us. They had all that they need and, and more. Mark six forty two says that they ate and they were filled. This wasn't just a little tray of hors d'oeuvres, right? They, they weren't saying, would you like a little bite of shrimp? with a little piece of cheese stuck in a toothpick. That's not what they ate. It says that they ate, and, and these 20,000 people, these 5,000 men, Mark goes to great lengths. They were hungry. They were starving. And they were filled. They, they ate enough to where they were filled. And not only was there enough food to fill them, but there was so much food that it filled 12 baskets. This leads us to our third lesson of Faith. We understand that God's in control. We understand that God provides, and he provides in abundance. But number three, we have to do our part. We have to do our part. Faith is active. It's not passive. Faith is an action. It's not stagnant. I hear so many Christians, I hear so many Christians say, well, well, I, I, I don't do much in the church because I, I, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting on the Lord. You ever heard that? Ever said that? Don't raise your hand. I'm just waiting on the Lord, preacher. Church, we need somebody to hold babies. I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting for him to tell me. Church, we need, we need people to teach these students. I'm just waiting on the Lord, preacher. I'm waiting for God to tell me. I'm just sitting here waiting. Many of you are going to leave this place and go to a restaurant in just a few moments and some of your minds are already there thinking about what you're going to order. <laughs> thinking about how good that food's going to taste. How good it's going to smell. When you go into that restaurant, you're going to meet a person that's going to take you to a booth. And at some point in your restaurant experience, a person's going to come to you and they're going to say, can I take your order? What do we call that person? A waiter, thank you. First service got it wrong too. It's not a server. Help me, it's a waiter. Now, your waiter is going to come to you, or waitress is going to come to you, and they're going to say, I'm just waiting. You do it. You write on that piece of paper what you want. Is that what they do? No, that's not what they do, is it? Not at all. What does a waiter do? A waiter serves. The, the, the point of waiting, the point of, 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 of waiting is serving. And so when I hear people say, when I hear, it, it crawls all over me because it's so wrong. It's so wrong. Your faith should not allow you to sit and park your rear end in a cushioned pew on Sunday morning. Your faith should drive you to action. Your faith should drive you to service. That's the point of the 50 days of fasting and prayer that we're going into. 
That's the point of this book that I wrote. That's the point of the message series that we're starting the first Sunday of October in two weeks. We're starting this. Why? Because I want you to discover that your faith is so much more, that God has a perfect plan for you. That if your faith is going to be real, if you're going to make a lasting impact on this generation before Jesus comes back, it's not going to be done by sitting on your backside. It's going to be done serving. The disciples, they served. They served. They did their part. They did what they could do. Have you ever thought about this? In this miracle, Jesus did the impossible, the disciples did the possible. God never calls you to do the impossible. Never does. You don't have the ability to take a few pieces of bread and fish and multiply it and feed 20,000. That's impossible for you to do. Jesus has got the impossible. The healing of cancer, you don't have the ability to heal cancer. He does. He does. You don't, have, you don't have the ability to sustain your job. You don't have the ability to, to sustain those relationships. You don't have that power. It's impossible. Now, you can do things to mess it up. But it's impossible for you to do it. But it's possible for him. You let Jesus do the impossible, and you do that which is possible. The impossible things. God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't, need, he didn't need my help. He didn't ask me what color I wanted the sky. If he asked me, hey, Wesley, what color do you want the sky? I'd say Tennessee orange. Wouldn't that be beautiful? And he said, all right, Wesley, I'll do it at sunset. I'll make it so beautiful. Tennessee orange. No. He didn't need my help. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't need my help, did he? My help put him on that cross, didn't it? My effort is what put him there on that cross. I can't do anything to get my own salvation. That's impossible. God's not called you to do the impossible. It may sound impossible. It may seem impossible. You let him worry about the miracle. You let him worry about the impossible situation. You worry about what you can do in that situation. You worry about the possible. Jesus took the bread and fish, and he blessed it, and it multiplied. And the disciples got it, and they began to serve. That's what they did. You know, several times in Scripture, God acts alone. But oftentimes in miracles, when miracles come, when blessings come, he always uses, and it's done in partnership with people. Now, let's talk about these 12 baskets. What's the significance of 12? Well, how many disciples were there? There are 12. See, there's a basket of blessing for every disciple who participated in the miracle. There was a blessing, a basket of blessing for every disciple that participated in that miracle. We just saw Jesus. They, we just said that Jesus performed this miracle to teach the disciples. However, they became pretty greedy with their baskets. Their heads became puffed up. They missed the point of the miracle. They came off this, this exciting mission trip. They come in and they completely botched the faith. Jesus said, what are we going to do? They said, oh, I don't know what we're going to do. They didn't have faith. They didn't trust God. They didn't believe that, that God was going to provide. They didn't believe that God was in control. They just sat back and they didn't do anything. I don't know. And so they messed up, but here's the, the, the grace and the mercy of God. Jesus forgave that, and he did the miracle despite their lack of faith. They, their faith is bolstered again. 
their tummies are full, and now they're carrying, they're carrying these baskets now. The next event that happens, immediately, Mark says, they leave from there, and they go down to a boat. It's now 3 o'clock in the morning, 3 a.m. And Jesus says, I, I want you to get into a boat, and I want you to sail, and I'll meet you over there. Jesus went up to the mountains to pray. He sent his disciples on the boat. Look at what happened. We know the story. Storms came. They freaked out again. We'll talk about that next week. I don't want to take too much, but I want you to see something. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Mark chapter 6, verse 52. Well, actually, yeah, verse 52 right here. Look at it. They did not understand. Their, their hearts became hardened because they did not understand about the loaves and the fish. Mark comes back. That was so like three hours ago, right? But Mark comes back. to Why does Mark come back? Why does Mark come back to this point that, that in, in their walk of faith, as they're out here on the boat, they, they're, 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 they're freaking out, and they freaked out, and it says that they completely missed the point of the loaves. What do they miss? In the middle of the waves, if you think your boat's going to go down, what do you do? What's the first thing you do? You throw the fattest person overboard, right? (laughs) No, that's not the first thing. That's the second thing. First thing, you take anything that you can get a hold of and you throw it over, right? What did they bring onto that boat? Their baskets of blessing, their miracle. So in the middle of this next trial, in the middle of this next test of their faith, instead of remembering the lesson of the loaves, instead of remembering that God is in control, that God has got this, this is not catching God by surprise, that that God is going to provide, John, listen, I know you're freaking out, but God is going to provide. Peter, I I know that you're flipping out, but God is going to provide. They did not do that. What did they do? They took their blessings and they threw it overboard. When you lack faith through testing, you take God's blessings and you throw it out. You're missing out. When you don't have faith, when you go through tests and you go through trials and your faith shatters, you're throwing your blessings away. These disciples, they threw it away and Mark says they completely missed the lesson of the loaves. Friend, listen, you can jump from one religious experience to another religious experience to another religious experience. But until you allow yourself to be satisfied with Jesus, you'll never be truly satisfied. The promise that we find in Scripture, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If you hunger, you come to me. He said, I am the living water. You come, you're thirsty, you come to me. I will satisfy your soul. I will bring satisfaction to you. I hear people all the time say, you know, preacher, I, I'm not satisfied anymore. Why doesn't pleasure satisfy me anymore? Why am I never fulfilled? What's wrong in in, in my career because it's not clicking anymore? 
I'm not satisfied with my family anymore. I'm not satisfied with my husband. I'm not satisfied with my wife anymore. I'm not satisfied with my future. What's wrong? What's wrong is that your faith is shaken. You're taking your blessings and you're throwing them overboard. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. God can bring a blessing to anyone however he wants to do it. But like I said, over and over in Scripture, God almost always, 99% of the times when he brings a miracle or he brings a blessing, he does the impossible, but he uses somebody else to do it. The thing about Joseph, when Joseph was standing there in Pharaoh's court and he was handing out all that food and he, he provided for his family. Joseph's curse, Joseph's test, it didn't just benefit Joseph, did it? It benefited him, but it benefited a whole lot of other people. If it wasn't for Joseph, all of Egypt would have, would have been hungry. So Joseph's blessing, the dream of God, also provided for Egypt. Joseph's dream helped his family. It helped his friends. It helped his colleagues. It helped his neighbors. You see, when you live out your faith for the Lord, God will bless you for that. But he will also use you as a catalyst to bring blessing to someone else. But when your faith is shattered and you're not living in real faith, what you're doing when you're rocking in that boat and you're freaking out and instead of saying God is in control, God is providing, I need to be serving, I need to be doing something, instead of doing that, what do you do? You're taking your blessings and you're throwing them. You say, I'm freaking out. I- I'm just throwing anything out that I can. I- I'm so anxious. I'm so upset. I'm so worried. God says, stop. Just stop it. Just relax. Calm down. I've got this. I've got this.